Welcome to the Cleansing Word Podcast with Pastor John of Calvary Chapel, Lake Villa. Join us as we go through the Bible as we encourage your walk with Jesus Christ. If you'd like to know more about Calvary Chapel, Lake Villa, visit us at cclv.org and please share and subscribe to this podcast. Now let's hear a message from God's Word. So you may have noticed that uh, I have a lot of points. And normally I have three, sometimes maybe four. So we better get busy. But just moving through Matthew chapter 12. This is lesson 40 of our chronological gospels. And this week we find ourselves finishing out Matthew 12 and the instructions that Jesus gave to his disciples that they were to follow as he sent them out on this first short-term missionary trip. And he warned them in the process of that, that they would endure rejection. They would ultimately endure persecution. And we know that they did. All we have to do is read further on in the New Testament, in the book of Acts and in the epistles. And they, at times, had severe persecution. But even so... They were to confess Christ before others. Persecution wasn't supposed to stop the work of the church. And Jesus would tell them, if you're found worthy in these things, you will receive a heavenly reward. So we want to look at that today in a message that I titled Sending, The Sending of the Twelve, Matthew 10, verses 16 through 42. And uh, we'll look at a coming persecution in 12 through 20, he who endures, 21 through 26, a proper placed fear, 27 through 31, confessing Christ, 32 through 33, being worthy of Christ, 34 through 39, and heavenly rewards, 40 through 42. So coming persecution or persecutions, uh, 16 through 20, as we look at this, now Jesus preparing them to go out on a missionary journey, what would happen was that Jesus would send out the 12, two by two, as an advanced team, and then Jesus would follow up behind them, and uh, eventually they'd meet up all together again. So they went out in an advanced type of work, and Jesus would go out on his own, uh, according to Scripture. He may have had, no doubt, others following him, but the 12 specifically, he spoke to them. He empowered them by the Holy Spirit. He gave them abilities, but he also gave them these words. So we looked at the abilities, the empowering of the Holy Spirit, that they could heal the sick, cast out demons, that they were to preach the kingdom of God. But now he explains what will happen to them as they go forth in verses 16 through 18. Behold, I send you out. As sheep in the midst of wolves, therefore be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. But beware of men, for they will deliver you up to councils and scourge you in their synagogues. You will be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles." So Jesus, he used this simile of to be wise as serpents and harmless as doves to remind his followers that they're not only to have wisdom, but they're to be gentle in how they go about presenting 
the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I've witnessed ungentle testifiers of Jesus Christ before. And, you know, James, in his epistle, he at one point says, for some, um, you give the word of God in a gentle way, but others, you hold them over the fire as if hell is burning and that's where you're going if you don't repent. And I would say that sometimes there is a place for force But I think, again, wisdom, wise as a serpent. Be wise in how you do that to know by the power of the Holy Spirit whether gentleness is required or whether um, a firm word is required. Sometimes it's good to kind of, if you're in doubt, maybe say nothing and to wait upon the Lord to move you. So he reminded them as they go about, be wise, be gentle, as they go about on their mission. As with the good shepherd, they were not shepherdless sheep, but as they went out, wolves would attack and attempt to kill them. And they would be, 17 and 18, delivered up and scourged and brought before governors and kings for the sake of Jesus So initially, persecution came from the Jews, but after the gospel spread to the Gentile nations, then persecution and a lot of the severe persecution came through the Gentile nations as well. As I said, recorded in the book of Acts and in the epistles and in church history, you can see that the church was birthed by the blood of the martyrs. Now, we have had a unique unique period both in England and here in the United States that for so many years Christian Christianity was the predominant religion and there was no persecution but that is changing do you remember the Christian Baker from 2008 and how he's been on trial ever since he wins and then he loses and then he wins And then he loses. Well, he lost uh, just this week, a final appeal, I think, um, because he refused to make a trans celebration cake. Every time he'd went in the court, they would just have somebody else come in and say, yeah, I want this cake. They know it went against his moral beliefs. And so they just brought him back. That's been going on since 2008. Pretty amazing. On the other hand, if there's a Muslim bakery, it seems that those issues aren't an issue. It seems like they don't even want to mess with the Muslims, but they do want to mess with Christianity. And they are. Things are changing. Unfortunately, many Christians today, they operate under the assumption that persecution is a part of church history and is not a current thing. But that is not true. Every day of every year on every continent men and women face persecution because of their belief in jesus christ and a few of the reasons this is listed out by open doors ministry and they gave uh nine reasons physical and verbal abuse uh, types of persecution and imprisonment kidnappings bribes deportation destruction of property fines torture and murder So here in the U.S., now we're becoming a target of it as well. 
and no longer are we deemed uh, Christian society, but we are rapidly becoming a post-Christian society. So to be a Christian society means the majority of the society itself believes in God, believes in Christ, but we are rapidly turning away from that. And yet, over the last few years, we learned that churches were deemed non-essential by our government, state government, uh, county government. We were semi-blessed here in Illinois that our governor, uh, although I don't agree with like most of the stuff that he does, I, don't, I can't think of anything that I do agree with, but I'll say it that way. I don't agree with most of the stuff that he does. He didn't want to deal with the issue of the church because the Supreme Court told them, if you don't decide back when the pandemic was starting up in that early months of there, if you don't make a decision by Thursday, we'll make it for you. And so he said, we just suggest he just everything we said to the churches is a suggestion and uh it's like all right that works for me i don't like your suggestion so we're gonna have church um but at the same time abortion clinics deemed essential marijuana dispensaries we have one in round lake now i'm starting to see the billboards lily and i went to uh pastors and wives uh, get together for Illinois on Friday night. We're driving down there and you see billboards about if you're a little high, it's too high to drive. And then you have billboards that say, hey, get your marijuana over here. And so you have one side of the government saying, be careful. And the other side saying, hey, light it up. That's the world we live in. And I get to see one of those billboards every time I drive home from church now. Not the be careful one, but advertising the marijuana. And I will still say that that is a gateway drug that leads to harder drugs. And people will argue and say, oh, no, it's not that. But I've seen it a lot from family members and other people that I've known. So our country is quickly becoming a post-Christian society. So the aid of the Holy Spirit, though, is when they deliver you up, Jesus said, 19 and 20, don't worry about what you should speak, for it will be given to you in that hour what you should speak. For it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your father who speaks through you. So I became a young preacher. I was 28 years old when the Lord called me into ministry. And I hung on to verses 19 and 20 of Matthew chapter 10 every single Sunday. I ended up being an interim pastor at a church over in Zion for about eight months. And so I was teaching uh, twice on Sunday. And I would remind the Lord that he would give me the words to speak. Now, that was not me saying, Lord, I don't need to study. But Lord, I need your spirit to be with me when I present your word. And so this is not, the Lord is not saying to you, Sunday school teachers, preachers in the pulpit, somebody leading a home Bible study or talking to some friends about faith. It's not saying do not study. It is saying that the Spirit will be with you when you speak. 
as in 2 Timothy 2.15, be diligent, or the King James, old King James, be or study to show yourself approved. In the New King James, be diligent to present yourself approved of God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, but rightly dividing the word of truth. So we're to be in the word of God. What I've discovered is that because of studying the word of God and been doing it for a number of years now, the Holy Spirit can use past things that I've studied to help bring recall. But if we have nothing to recall, he can't sometimes help us there. He could. He can do anything he wants. He's God. But please read your word, study your word, be prepared, but trust that God. But specifically, this is talking about being delivered up. So in the United States, there was a trial going on with Pastor Michael McClure this week. And I I don't know the outcome of it. I know that they were praying on Thursday when it started that everything would just be like, all right, we don't care about all the $4 million fines that were put against you in San Diego County during the pandemic. We're just going to say, forget this. But it didn't end on Thursday, and it was going on again on Friday. I haven't heard anything since. But trusting in the Lord in situations like that. Use wisdom, be gentle, but trust in the Lord. And they did so. They endured persecution. Eleven of the twelve were so faithful to the call that God had given them that during their lifetime, they were accused of turning the world upside down, Acts 17.6. Or if some have rightly said, turning the world right side up. And may we likewise be faithful to the call that Jesus has placed upon our lives. He goes on to talk about those who would endure in verses 21 through 26, beginning in the first three verses, beginning in verse 21. Now brother will deliver up brother to death. A father, his child, and children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. And you will be hated by all for man's sake. And he who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in one city, flee to another. For surely I say to you that you will not have gone through all the cities of Israel before the Son of Man comes. So brother, rising against brother, first happened after um, God removed Adam and Eve from the Garden of Eden. When Cain rose up against his brother Abel to kill him. And now in Christianity... It often causes a strain in family relationships. Yet here Jesus foretold of a time when brothers and sisters, fathers and mothers, even children would rise up against their parents, a believer within their own household, causing them to be put to death. While this has often happened throughout other continents throughout the world, we also find that it's happening here in the United States. Maybe we learn to kind of put up with things, but I think things are becoming more difficult these days. And again, it's just an indication of the last days because Jesus would say later on to the same disciples in Matthew 24, 12, saying, because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. And we have seen lawlessness abounding in our nation today and the love of many growing cold in our nation today considering the coming persecution jesus calls 
for his disciples to do two things. First, Christians are to endure until the end, even amid hatred and persecution. Hebrews 3.14 tells us, for we have become partakers with Christ. If we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. So there's something about uh, holding on until the end, enduring until the end, steadfast until the end. It is to be a, a permanent thing in our lives, in our walk. First, Christians are to endure until the end. Second, when persecution arises, Jesus says, flee to another city. But what I want us to note, and you know, I've heard Illinois is not the uh, most pleasant place to live these days. And uh, people are fleeing rather quickly from Illinois. So for me, it's not time to go yet. But even if it would be time to go, he didn't tell them to flee to another city and to be quiet. They were still to proclaim the message in another city. Wherever they went, they were to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Here's a great example of that. On Paul and Barnabas in their first missionary journey in Acts 14, 5 through 7, there was a violent attempt made by both the Gentiles and the Jews with the rulers to abuse and stone them. And when they became aware of it, they fled to Lystra and Derbe, to the cities of Lyconia and the surrounding regions, and they preached the gospel there. There was a violent attempt. They were about ready to stone. They were about ready to kill them. And they wisely, be wise as serpents, they went somewhere else. You got to remember, stoning is not uh, somebody threw rocks at me. Stoning was big boulders. They would kill you. And yet they didn't stop preaching the gospel. So we're to be like Jesus, verses 24 through 26. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a serpent of servant, sorry, servant. We're to be wise as serpents, but we're not serpents. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for a disciple that he be like his teacher. And a servant like his master. If they call his master the master of the house of Beelzebub, how much more will they call you of his household? Therefore, do not fear them, for there is nothing covered that will not be revealed, nothing hidden that will not be known. So he uses four specific words. Uh, disciple, teacher, servant, master. So a disciple is a learner or a pupil. It refers, it can refer to any kind of person who learns, but here specifically talking about learners, disciples of Jesus Christ. Teacher, a Greek word that speaks about an instructor, someone skilled, but in the King James Bible, um, they translated this word didaskalos in the Greek as doctor, as master, as teacher. He refers to the servants, doulos. It's a word that I've used over the years, a Greek word that means to be uh, a slave, to be in bondage to one, someone else, to serve under someone else. 
And that one we're serving under is kurios in the Greek. It means master, lord, or owner, someone who has the supreme authority over your lives. So a disciple and his teacher, a disciple and his master, servants, he told them that they call me Beelzebub. Beelzebul is the Greek word that's used here. It means to be Lord of dung or Lord of filth. That's what the word means. If they're going to call me the Lord of dung, the Lord of filth, what do you think they're going to call you? Being part of my household. And being part of the household of faith, Paul referred to that in Galatians 6.10, saying that, we are those who are of the household of faith. And our faith is to help us to properly place our, feel, our fear. Our fear is to be upon God and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in the sense that we should be concerned with what the Lord thinks of us more than what others thinks of us. God will be the final judge of all things. There will be the judging of believers at the Bema seat judgment of Christ. And at the great white throne judgment, those unbelievers will stand before the Lord God of whom all will give account. Nothing will be hidden. Nothing will be covered. Everything will be revealed. 1 Corinthians 4, 5 says, Therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness, reveal the counsel of the hearts, then each one's praise will come from God. We need to remember, Jesus said, In this world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. John sixteen thirty three. In this world we will have tribulation troubles we will have trials but we need to look beyond this world we need to look to jesus jesus said i've overcome the world so whether persecution or peace may we always look to jesus to be our help and our hope for a third point we see a proper placed Fear, I put that wrong, didn't I? That was our second point. You know, I do these notes, I get things backwards. So, second point was he who endures. Third point, a properly placed fear. I think I had that wrong, but we're right on track now. Verses 27 through 31. Jesus said in verses 27 and 28, Whatever I tell you in the dark, speak in the light. What you hear... In the air, preach on the housetops. Do not fear those who can kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. But rather fear him who is able to destroy both the soul and the body. So Jesus plainly saying that don't be afraid of man. Humanity, at the worst, all they can do is kill you. And you think, John, that's pretty severe. That's true. Physically, we can lose our life and if the Lord does not return before our lifetimes have finished, I can guarantee that everyone in this room will die at some point. How you die might be a different story. Some may be dying naturally, some a tragic accident, some because of persecution. What is Jesus is saying is all they can take is your body. They can't take your soul. But God judges both the body and the soul. So a properly 
misplaced fear. He who not only can judge the physical, but also the spiritual. So he talks about darkness. And darkness in itself, uh, figuratively, it can speak of uh, being unhappy or ruined. Ultimately, it speaks about death. So it has this sense of darkness coinciding with sin itself. But he also spoke about light. So there's light versus darkness. So light versus darkness. That we are to understand that we have the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we can have an understanding of the things that we see in this world. And we do so by the things that we learn, the things that we hear, to be attentive to the word of God, to pay attention to uh, what is happening in our world, to look at it through the lenses of Scripture, which refers to having a biblical world view. That as we see what's going on, what happened in Memphis and that horrific thing that uh, is being dealt with right now in real time in our nation, well... It kind of coincides with the earlier scripture that I read that the love of many has grown cold in our nation. There's violence in our world today because the love of many has grown cold in our nation. There's violence in our world today because no longer do we have a majority in our nation putting God first, but they're putting self first. So they're worried more about the Darkness, as far as what man can do to you and not worried about that properly placed fear of the one who can judge both body and soul. Jesus is enlightening us to hear. And what we hear, we are to preach. We're to proclaim. It's a caruso is the Greek word. It means to herald it like the public criers of old. We're to herald the light of Jesus Christ. In John 1, 6, Jesus said, He is the true light that gives light to every man coming into this world. John also tells us in John 3, 19 of Jesus saying, This is the condemnation that light has come into the world and men love darkness more than the light because their deeds are evil. So we're to have that properly placed fear. We see what's going on in our world today. We know it's because it's the absence of the light of Christ in our world, in the individuals in our nation today. And it's only going to get worse if the Lord chooses not to send a revival upon this nation. So in whom should we fear? Remember, God is only able to destroy both body and soul. If we are killed, they cannot take our souls But thankfully, God loves us so much. Paul said in Romans 8, 38 through 39, he says, I'm persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present or things to come nor height or depth or any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God through Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. They can hurt us, but Christ will be there. So our high value, verses 29 through 31, the Lord said, are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin? A two for one. 
and not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's will. But the very hairs on your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore, for you are more of more value than many sparrows. So the soul is God's domain because he is the one who breathed life into humanity. In the very beginning, in Genesis 2, 7, it tells us that God formed man from the dust of the ground. It's been said, and I've only heard this in messages in times past. I'm not a scientist, but this is what I've heard. The same 17 elements that make up uh, the things of this earth are also found in us as humanity. Uh, dust to dust, and dust you were made, and for dust you will return. But it's God who breathed breath. Genesis 2, 7, he breathed breath into the nostril. He breathed in man life and he became a living being. Whether the soul is an entity that is distinct from the body or simply uh, comprises of body, soul, and spirit, the unity that we have, Jesus came to redeem us back to the Father. And that redemption from the Lord was costly as Psalms Psalm 49, 8 tells us the redemption of their souls is costly. It cost Jesus everything. 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19, Peter said, We were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. So Jesus uses two seemingly insignificant things to illustrate for us the great love of God, sparrows and the hairs of your head. So insignificant, I mean, I still have hair, so you might be thinking, John, well, you have hair still, so not insignificant to you. Well, I've never counted the number of hair that I have on my head. I do see that it keeps falling out (laughs) all the time. Seems like wherever I go, Um, But God knows the number. Sparrows, those uh, two sparrows for a copper coin, it was the Roman coinage of the smallest value. So we might say uh, two for a penny. Uh, Nobody says that anymore today. But when I was a kid, you could still get penny candy. And I don't know if they had two for one deals back then, though. But God knows these things. A sparrow does not fall without God knowing it. His great love for us. If God remembers each sparrow, knows the number of the hairs on our head, how much more of value are we than these? God said of many sparrows, so much more that Jesus, God's only begotten son, gave his life upon the cross that we might be saved and become part of the family of God. And so may we properly place our fear, our fear in the one who says and holds our life so dear. But confessing Christ, 32 through 33, in verse 33, therefore, whoever confesses me before men, I will confess them before my Father in heaven. So confession. So you know, you know the Greek word, kind of a play on it, because we took it from the Greek into English, homo sapien. Um, it's like humanity, my, man is what it means. And you also know because you're ch- good church people, 
In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God, John 1.1. 1, 1. That Greek word, Word, is logos. So, to confess, homo legeo, so you have the two words, the homo, man, legeo, word, the words of men, we could say. So it actually is a Greek word that means homo legeo, means to agree with, to speak the same language. Paul used it, if you confess with the mouth, in Romans 10.10, confession is made unto salvation, that homo legeo, that commonly agreed upon language. We join together in the same confession of faith that all believers must confess that Jesus Christ is both Lord and Savior. Those who confess this, well, Jesus said, I will confess you before my Father in heaven. So again, Romans 10, 9 and 10, if you confess, homo logeo, same word again, that common language. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe, pistuo in the Greek, believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So confession without belief is merely words without power. But on the other hand, belief without confession is having faith without a testimony of the power of God to change lives. They have to go together. It's a confession in our belief in Jesus Christ. We must confess here on this earth. And Jesus said, those who confess, I'll confess your name before my Father in heaven. But, verse 33, those who deny me before men, I'll also deny them before my Father in heaven. So to deny, to say that someone does not know or in any way is related to an individual person or an event. So they had this faithful saying, uh, Paul wrote about it in 2 Timothy 2, 11 through 13, a saying that they had in the early church, he gave to us. He said, this is a faithful saying. If we die with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. If he we deny him, he also will deny us. If we're faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. If we die with him, we'll live with him. If we endure, we will reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. Jesus said, if you do not confess me before man, I will not confess you before my Father in heaven. And even if we are without faith, Jesus is faithful. We need to have such a trust in our living Savior, Jesus Christ. As believers, we are to die to self. We're to endure in our faith that we might live and reign with Christ. On the other hand, those who deny Jesus, unbelievers, they'll find that one day Christ will deny them before their Father. When it comes to faith in Jesus Christ, we only have two choices to either confess or to deny his name. Therefore, we must confess Christ before all others. If we deny Jesus on this earth, we'll find then one day he will deny us before his, his Father in heaven. I, I'm thankful. It's not a I wonder if. 
If we accept Jesus, walk in his ways, we will know that one day he will commend us before his Father in heaven. Jesus will confess our names in heaven only if we confess his name upon this earth. So we're to be worthy of Christ, verses 34 through 39. Do not think that I've come to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace. But Pastor John, we sing the song peace on earth all the time. (laughs) Well, there's got to be division. He said, do not think that I come to bring peace on earth, but sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemy will be those in his own household. Although Jesus is the Prince of Peace and he gives us peace to all who believe in him. In this world, he doesn't bring peace. He brings division. This is much like Micah's day, the prophet Micah. In Micah 6, 5 and 6, he said, Do not trust a friend. Do not put your confidence in a companion. Guard the doors of your mouth from her who lies in your bosom. So a husband and wife watching what they need to say. For a son dishonors the father. Daughter rises against her mother. A daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies are the men of his own household. So we find that historically that it happened in the Old Testament. Micah gave this account. Jesus talking about the same thing. And it's happening today as well. But also in the Old Testament, it tells us of a coming day of the work of the prophet Elijah in Malachi 4.5. When the prophet Elijah comes before the great and dreadful day of the Lord, that he will turn the hearts of the father toward their children and the hearts of the children toward their fathers. Uh, Malachi 4.6. And likewise, John the Baptist came in the spirit and the power of Elijah. In Luke 1, 17, it tells us to turn the hearts of the fathers to children, the disobedience to the wisdom of the just, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And we need the ministry of Elijah. We need the ministry of John the Baptist. We need the ministry of the Holy Spirit working in our nation, in our families today, because the hearts are broken in our nation. They are apart from God. They are apart from Christ. There is no unity in this nation any longer because we have strayed away from the truth of God. Pray that God would do such a work in our own families if you're hurting in that area. Pray that God would do such a work in our own community, in our state, in our nation, that the hearts of the fathers would be turned toward their children and their children's hearts toward their parents. 37 through 39 of Matthew 10, He who loves the father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. He who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. He who does not take up his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. So we are to love Jesus first and foremost. It doesn't mean that I don't love Lily greatly, and I do. It doesn't mean that I don't love my children and my grandchildren greatly, and I do. But Jesus is to have that first place in my life. As a preacher, I love Christ, I love my family, and I love this church. Sometimes preachers get things backwards. Sometimes they love their church 
And they love Christ and love their family in that order. They love their church. They love their family and love Christ in that order. But the proper order, we put Christ first, we put our family second, and we put all others in that third place. To have that proper perspective of loving Christ before all others, even more than a family, a mother, a son, and a daughter, it gives us a moral compass upon which we can properly build our life. But second, to take up our cross, to bear the cross. And think about it, cross-bearing in Jesus' day, it's a lot different than what cross-bearing is for us today. Oh, I love the cross that you're wearing. It's so beautiful. Is that diamonds? Oh, yeah. Is that gold? Is that uh, made of nails, real nails? Be careful with that. Those nails can penetrate if they get... (laughs) Something that happened to me as a kid. I lived in a valley. I was running down the hill from my friend's house, and I got out of control. So we lived in the valley. My friend lived up a hill, pretty steep hill. And I was running down, I lost control, and I crashed into a tree. I hugged the tree. I was a tree hugger. (laughs) But the cross that I was wearing went up end on me, and it rammed right in. So cross-bearing can be dangerous if you're running down a hill. For them, it meant death. Cross-bearing was not glorious in in Jesus' day. It meant that it was submission to Rome, and it meant crucifixion. So we're to love Jesus before all other. We're to bear our cross. Third, we're to follow Christ. And the word follow here in the Greek is a present imperative. So it could be read like this. So keep on following him. Keep on following me. Wherever we go throughout this life, whatever we do, we are to be Christ's followers. So those who are willing to love Christ first, to pick up their cross, bear the cross, to follow Christ, cross, uh, follow Christ, they are worthy. They're worthy of that fellowship, that koinonia, that relationship with God. He who finds his life then will lose it, and he who loses his life for my sake will find it. So God... Jesus here doing a word play on these things. We actually talk about finding our life in the process of losing our life. But in losing our life, then we find true life. So really talking about giving up yourself over to God. In the process of doing that, you will find true life. And those who are worthy to love Jesus, take up with their cross and follow him will find true life. So we finish out heavenly rewards, verses 40 through 42. He who receives me, sorry, he who receives you receives me. He who receives me receives him who sent me. He who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet reward. He who receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. Whoever gives... One of these little ones, a cold cup of water. I'll tell my little giggle there in a moment. Whoever gives a righteous one a cold cup of water in the name of a disciple, surely I say to you, he shall by no means lose his reward. So I was thinking of that 
well in India that Calvary Chapel Lake Villa helped to sink last year. I mean, all we did was help with the finances of it, but somewhere in India, there's a plaque that says their church name on it, but there's families receiving water that is so dear for all of us. Uh, They don't have tap waters in their homes. And they were, this community refused to go to the community well because of their Christian faith. We were helped to provide that. The Lord Jesus Christ said, you will get reward for that. It's like, I don't even know who drunk from that well. I don't even know the individuals. doesn't matter. The Lord knows. We share in that reward. How cool is that? First, those who receive the disciples, the representatives of Jesus Christ, Jesus said, they not only receive you, but they receive me and my Father in heaven. And then, Those who receive a prophet, they share, or in a righteous person, they share in the rewards of that prophet, of that righteous person. So our service to Jesus can be in many different forms. Sometimes it's by giving a cold cup of water in the name of Jesus to the little ones. Being givers of water is one thing on this earth, but to be givers of the water of life through faith in Jesus Christ. We will not miss that heavenly reward. Hebrews 6.10 says, For God is not unjust. Forget the works, the labor of love, which you have shown toward his name, that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. The things that we do upon this earth matter in heaven. Sometimes we have a wrong perspective in things. That's why we need to put our eyes on Jesus. He gives us that proper perspective in all things. Today we've seen a message, the sending of the 12, Matthew 10, verses 16 through 42. Jesus spoke about coming persecutions in verses 16 through 20. We were reminded that we are to be faithful to the call of Jesus that he has placed upon our lives. Just like the disciples, we are to be faithful to the call of Jesus that he has placed upon our lives. In verses 21 through 26, he who endures, we're reminded whether we have persecution or peace, that we're always to look to Jesus for our help and our hope. Having a proper place, properly placed fear... I should never put two P words together. It trips me up. (laughs) Having a properly placed fear, verses 27 through 31. When we have a properly placed fear, uh, when we have that in Jesus Christ, we realize that we have that placed in the one who holds our life dear. Confession of Christ in 32 through 33 If we choose not to confess the Lord's name on this earth, he will not confess our name in heaven. But the reverse is true. Confess Jesus here and now. He will confess your name in heaven before his father. Being found worthy of Christ, it reminds us that we are to take up, we're to love Christ first and foremost. We are to take up our crosses and we are to follow him. And those heavenly rewards in verses 40 through 42, we're reminded that, the things that we do on this earth matter from a heavenly perspective. Father, thank you so much. Because we are disciples that need to hear these truths. 
We are disciples, Lord, that need to be reminded of these things. Help us, Lord, to walk in your ways, to hear the truth of your word. If you've challenged any one of us today, Lord, help us to be ready to give that challenge over to you. Whether we're standing during the last song in worship and the individual chooses not to sing, but just to pray to you and to say, Lord, and whatever the need you've laid on their heart, may they pour their heart out to you. Maybe, Lord, it's not standing in their place, but coming and kneeling in the front of the church here at the prayer benches that they come and kneel before you and cry out to you and say, Lord, whatever the case might be, Lord, maybe they choose to come and to pray with Pastor Kevin. My desire, Lord, is that you'd work in our midst today. My desire, Lord, that you'd work for those listening on the radio, those watching through social media, that, Lord, they would reach out to us as well, but primarily that they'd reach out to you wherever they're at, whether here in this place or throughout the world. I pray, Father, that you'd work in our midst now. We give ourselves over to you. In the name of Jesus, amen. Let's stand and